ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Top 8 Magic. I'm Brian David Marshall, joined this morning by, by Pro Tour Hall of Famer and uh, frequent co-host now, Zvi Moshowitz. Hey Zvi. Hey! So, busy Magic Weekend. Yeah, they always are. It was... I couldn't even figure out the format, uh, like the structure of the, the, the tournament this weekend, <laughs> but it, it seemed like a blast. Yeah, well, this, this wasn't, uh, so I was in uh, Chantilly, Virginia, which they call Washington, D.C. for some reason, and uh, for Command Fest, which is not a tournament at all, but really just like a social magic event. Uh, so people just kind of just... It was like magic, playing magic in 1995. You walk into a room and you're like, you want to play? And then you sit down and you play. And then you don't win anything. I mean, you can go over to the other side of the room and play and try to win something, but it's negligible. Obviously don't do that. Yeah, you don't do And you just uh, meet some people and hang out and you play magic for a couple of days. And it was kind of cool. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was really nice to meet a lot of people. But while that was happening, I got a message from... Less frequent co-host, Michael J. Flores. Uh, apparently, he has qualified for the Pro Tour again. And, and you had some hand in this. Yeah, so I, I get a text from, from Mr. Flores saying, you got a minute? And I say, sure. And he calls me and he says, I'm going to a PTQ. It's going to be a 32-person event. Uh, I'm taking Cynic Flash. It's a great deck. But these food decks, they transform into these stupid... Like, they just put in... Love struck beasts and just play like creatures and then like I can't handle it. I can't win post sideboard games. But like my game one's amazing. And I'm just like, okay, first of all, I mean, if your game one's that amazing, like cards that shouldn't threaten you, it's weird, but I'm thinking to myself, okay. So he's like, We need a sideboard plan. I think through it to myself and it's like, okay, we're facing like shifting ceratops, which is five four. We're facing Love Struck Beast, which is five five. I think to myself, okay, so obviously we just need a 5-6. And then just my rental brain scan of, like, what's 5-6 in the format? And it's like, well, there's one creature that's 5-6, which is Cavalier of Thorns. <laughs> is it in green? Is it in green or blue? Yes, it is. Is it right. in green specifically, because you have a tough spectrum from blue? Yes, it is. Did it fit our game plan? Oh, it actually does. Very nice. And so I suggested, well, if they're just planning to attack with 5-5s five and 5-4s and have zero combat tricks in their entire deck... We play Cavalier of Thorns, and if they kill it, we get back one of our bombs. And if they don't, then they're brick walls. Either way, our cards are better, and we win. Right? We're not afraid of their little engine thing that much. Right. But right? he didn't. He doesn't worry. He didn't say anything about that. I suggested, it, and it turns out he was celebrating in four <laughs> Cavalier of Thorns. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And apparently, Patrick Chapman got him to celebrate in Ugin. <laughs> okay. And these cards won him the, the tournament together. Right. And well, we'll, I'm going to talk to Mike a little after this and, and get a, a little bit of how, how that all worked out. But it was kind of an interesting tournament because he had to, I guess it was like there were like four sub-tournaments that all fed into a more traditional. Yeah, this is, the, this is the new system they're letting stores do, which is you have a store that isn't that big. So you can have preliminary events where you try to qualify for the main qualifier 
And this, of course, generates lots more interesting events to do at the store. So it generates excitement at the store. And it means the locals are more likely to get the slot. So I, I, actually, I actually kind of like this system a lot. I like that a lot more than a PTQ um, from – as someone who ran a store and, you know, got to run big PTQs. But, I mean, the event that I always think of, you know, as most successful for Neutral Ground were the grudge match events – which were similar to this, right? Which were these weekly qualifiers that fed, you know, like a quarterly or whatever t- big tournament. When I, when I was able to come out, you know, day in, day out, weekend after weekend, it was always great to have things that added up over time, gave you something to track, gave you something to talk about, gave you something to keep in mind. That was, that was great. And what wasn't so great was always like, okay, this event is gigantic and we're wandering this big hall and like, yeah. we can't possibly know each other. And then if we get nano problems twice, we're out of the tournament, and, and therefore, like, we'll get another chance in a month. Right. Right? Yeah. Or you end up, like, endlessly driving around weekend after weekend around the tri-state area to spread and like, a 100-person event. It's not, it's not that much fun. Not, not a religious person, but if there's a hell, it is driving eternally from Boston to Rochester on Saturday night after losing in the top eight of a PTQ to get to the last PTQ of the season on Sunday in Rochester. <laughs> that's, that's the hell. Well, I mean, it's not quite as bad as driving back from Rochester to Boston the day after you lose the last PTQ of the season, right? Oh, no, you're driving back to New York because you drove up to Boston. So it's, so it's a little bit... It's not as far. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. But, I mean, at least you planned your weekend, right? <laughs> I, I had to qualify after getting, like... Trapped in the snow during an overnight drive to Syracuse. So, like, weird things happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, let's, let's, let's back up a little bit, though. Um, let's talk about your Mythic Championship, which was uh, a while back, and I don't think we've really talked about it. You mean Richmond? Yeah. So, I played Cavaliers in Richmond, which was, of course, as it usually is, one tournament premature for me. I often play decks a tournament before they're good. Yeah. In, and often when they're missing a card, in this case, the missing card was just not noticing what the card was. Nobody thought of it until afterwards. But anyway, I played Cavaliers with, with pre-Sphinx, but like same basic list, right? I had Aether, four Aether Gus main because literally everybody played something that it had. Right. Um, the deck was fine. Basically, if you weren't playing Okos and you weren't playing your own Cavaliers, the deck was amazing because everybody was laser-pointed at Oko. And your deck hadn't changed because it's just naturally the way to handle Oko is to build it correctly. And so you just have a huge advantage on them. Uh, and if they are playing Oko, game one is very good because they're all, again, focused on beating each other. So the cards that beat you aren't in their deck. Right. And then game two, they board like 11 cards because all the cards they want to board for everyone else also hit you. And you're disadvantaged, but you, know, you get at least one game on the play and you have a decent shot. It's not so bad. And so the matchup overall, I felt like, was, you know, even to slightly advantaged if you knew what you were doing. But the problem is that if you try to prepare these days and your matches are on the ladder, your opponents don't know what they're doing. So the players who were actually at the Pro Tour did know what they were doing because they're better than the people on the ladder. And so suddenly everybody is playing correctly and doing things like just not casting spells for the first few turns and daring me to try and move first. Right. And I'd never faced this mode of play before and just generally playing precisely, handling their operations. 
and things were clearly a lot tougher, and it was clear that, like, you know, I was scrambling to get 50-50 on the match. But it still wasn't, it still clearly was fine. It clearly wasn't so bad. I ended up going, the problem was that I, I went in with a, we talked about the strategy for the draft, but I was going to force mono green. And I got into a spot where green was a very reasonable thing to do. I got every long-range card that could plausibly be long-ranged and some that couldn't plausibly be long-ranged <laughs> happened anyway. But the deck still just didn't get enough cards and didn't get bombs. And I think that it was just one of those spots where the players cooperated mostly. There was a green player, but he was aiming, he, he was aiming for a large green deck and didn't take a lot of the cards that I wanted. And that's the, the best-case scenario anyway. Uh, but the cards that didn't open just didn't cooperate, which is a real risk when you do that strategy because, again, only one card in four roughly is an artifact or green card. And sometimes the cards aren't there. So I ended up with you know a 3 out of 10, 4 out of 10 style deck that had good mana, but you know cards 21 through 23 were not what cards you wanted to play. And no bombs. Right. So let me, let me ask you a sort of... And it went one, two. Pull, pull back from that yeah. for a second. Ask you a, sort of a big picture question. Yeah. Do you feel like the time for mixed format PTs or MCs or whatever we're calling them these days is over? Is it unfair to have limited at an event that is ultimately about testing you know, who has the best deck, who's made the best choices, who's put in the most preparation, or is do you feel like there's still enough um, skill mitigating the variance of limited? There's, like, there's, a, there's, a, ton of, there's a ton of skill in limited. I, I agree. I'm a big and it, fan. If anything, I felt like with Magic Online available to all, you know, it was more fair to ask me to play limited against these players than to play constructed because the difference between Magic Online and the Pro Tour Limited was much lower. And the difference between Arena Constructed and Constructed against real players. Right? They both played the same technical cards, the same rules, except for the in-pod thing. And the in-pod thing not being available online is annoying. Right. But that's fair to everyone, because nobody can get that unless they show up in person. And, like, you could sort of mentally keep a tally of, like, no, he can't have another white-red deck when I have a white-red deck because, like, we would just kill each other during the draft. Like, this isn't a real match. We'll just play some cards and learn how some interactions work, which is fine. We don't really count it as something like, you know, you learn. And one thing was I would review drafts with Ryan Sachs, and he'd be like, why'd you take that card? And I'm like, I'm at the Pro Tour. Right? I would counter-draft that card. So I did. Right. Right? I know that this doesn't actually have any impact on what I play against, but I want to mentally train myself to take the right card. Right? So instead of drafting for money, I'm drafting the way I would at a, in pot. Right? I'm like, no, I'm taking Okong adversary here because my opponent gets it if I don't. So I have to upswing it. And he's like, yeah, I know, I wouldn't take that here because I know I don't have to face it. But, and then I face, yeah, but you're right. That is a consideration. And, and so I'm like, well, I don't have to face my, my own deck. So I don't have to worry about it. Like, there were no fairy guide mothers, so this trap in the tower is actually good. I know that. And it's like, right. but no, right. you don't know that in Magic Online. So you have to adjust to all these things. But... I felt like it was just a matter of, do I put in the time? Do I put in the effort? You know, do I train myself? But it's also one draft on day one, and then one more draft on day two, and so there's a lot of variance. And, like, it physically hurt me to hear 
a number of top players, like Hall of Fame people, you know, really, really high prestige, you know, won a lot of money, done very well, say things like, yeah, I did six drafts, or yeah, I did a few drafts and I know how the cards work and I'm fine, and clearly have no idea how mana works in this in front of Eldraine, because it's a very unique format in that way. Right. And like, draft, like intentionally, like they were never going to draft a proper. What, what, what do you mean by the, the, the mana is? Well, you, you want to be 11-6, right? right? Or 17-0. There's, there's no, it's not really ever a 9-8. Right, people who are just walking in going like, I'm going to draft reasonable cards and be 9-8 and be fine. It's like, no, you're not fine. But on three, you know, I played three rounds. So like I had substantially more mulligans and color problems than, well, not color problems, but mulligans and mana problems than my opponents. When I had a, I think it was 16 or 17-0, pure green deck with a very good curve that could handle things like keeping two mana land, two land hands. And they had, you know, at least two out of three were like nine, eight monstrosities or worse. <laughs> uh, so it, it pains you when that happens to sort of, you know, if I had lost to bombs, Right. Right? Like, it'd be like, well, the cards didn't open, but to lose to your own mana when your mana is the best it's ever been and limited, it hurts. Right? So it's a flood screws and, like, mulligans into floods and, like, you know, terrible things. And it's like, yeah, that's just how, I mean, that's magic sometimes, right? Like, I, then I moved on to the, the Oko matches and was in hell. And I was like, I appreciate it limited so much more by the end of round five, right? <laughs> no, um, I faced three, so I, I faced, um, Four Oko decks and a Cavalier Mirror. And the Cavalier Mirror was we exchanged deck lists. And we were both like, huh, I haven't played a game of this. Right. Like we both like, we traded that information because we're, you know, not in a great bracket, so we don't feel super serious. And both admitted we hadn't sideboarded ever. And then we both built our sideboards with no basically no consideration to what might happen. He happened to have disenchants in his sideboard. But I had made a Aether Gusts and Shimmers, and he had, like, extra Bone Crusher Giants, and he had Bone Crusher, you know, and, like, just general, he had Bone Crusher Giants in his main instead of the sideboard, like, general just, like, stuff. So, I thought that I had a significant edge with the way the Exos were constructed in game one, and then game two, maybe he had a tiny edge if he, you know, maybe not. So, he went to the flip. He has one of everything. I have one of, I mulligan into one of everything. The mulligan doesn't matter at all. But he does everything first. And if we now know how the Cavalier matchup works, and it was the fir- my first exposure to it. But as I had calculated in my head, if you have one of everything on the play, you can't be beat. You literally can't be beat. Wow. No, because you go to Fairy, which shuts off the Aether Gusts in any relevant way. And then they cast two spells a turn, and you take a Fairy to bounce your fires once. And you do the same thing. And there are two cards ahead, and those two cards attack for 20 and kill you over two turns. And there's nothing you can do about it. Like, there's literally nothing you can do about it. No combination of cards will stop it, because if you wrath, they just play two more creatures and kill you. Like, what are you going to do? Right? And then game two, um, I'm on the play. I go third turn war boss. He looks at the war boss. You see his head think for a second, and he goes, oh, yeah. Like, you know, he, clearly he hadn't put his war bosses in. <laughs> And hadn't expected me to, but understood upon seeing it, yes, of course I'm taking out Clarion, and you know I'm taking out Clarion, so of course you're putting in Warboss. And game three, I lose to Warboss. Out of his sideboard. Because now he knows. <laughs> Did you take out your Clarions? 
Of course. You, no, no, no. Even if you know they have Warbots, okay. you bring in Bone Crusher Giant oh, sure, instead, sure. Okay. right, to take that slot. And part of the question was, like, now that I know he's going to have Warbots for Game 3, I don't know how many he has because they hit the numbers. Right. And Giant isn't generally very useful, and there are plenty of ways to go over the top of Warbots. It's not like you're that scared of it. Right. It's just, like, better than the marginal other cards you can have. Right. So... But basically, I didn't lose to Warboss, nor did he lose to Warboss. Right. He lost to being on the draw, and then I lost to being on the draw. Right. Right? Like, if you just flip all three games, all three games flip. Right. With the same hands. Right. He just wins game two, and I just win games one and three. Um, the other f- four matches were against Oko, and I went 2-1-1. I would have lost the last match that we drew if there had been, like, an extra turn cycle. Certainly two extra turn cycles. Like, I played it to not ever lose... Like, once I knew the time was about to be called, like I looked over and there was, like, 30, 30 seconds, 30 seconds of the clock, right? And it's like, okay, now I just figure out how to not lose the match. Like, but, you know, I almost certainly lose within a few turn cycles mm. because of the way the games were going. So I would have gone two and two, which is a better assessment of, like, how it was really. But, like, the, we both, you're both, like, playing reasonably. It's just the matches take forever, right? Like, the operations in Oko are terrible. Um... Basically, it is what it is, right? Like, it's it's a hard slog. Uh, very skill, it is very skill-intensive. So, like, I wasn't mad at it exactly. It was just... All this makes you not want to play... But, like, it just... The, the operations involved in playing these matches are so miserable in person. It, it, it definitely sapped your will of, you know, of, for, for playing Magic. I know on, on day on, two, you played in the GP and then just kind of were like, no. Yeah, I went, I went, I think, one and two or two and two. I think it was one and two. Um... Like, I had some bad draws. The like, Gex just wasn't cooperating. But, like, I was mentally out of it by the third match. I'm not sure if that played a role. Probably did. Right. It was just like, I just dropped from the tournament when I'm pretty sure I would have won money if I'd won the last few rounds. Even though I couldn't stay for the second... I couldn't justify staying for Sunday right. with two losses, regardless. But, yeah, I was just like, I just don't want to... You know, it's like the, the press of Farnsworth just, I don't want to play Magic anymore. <laughs> you know. So... I just dropped because like, just, I'm just not having any fun with this. Right. And then it was like too late to mystery booster draft. And I was just kind of exhausted and I just went back to the hotel room basically. Right. Uh, so but it's the difference between arena handling operations for you and having to do them and wait between rounds is just so stark. You're playing like a third of the number of games or a quarter of the number of games that you would be otherwise. Now, we've talked already about the Twitch Rivals event. We hadn't really talked about myth, but let's now. With the last time you and I were together, we did the Mythic Championship Seven preview show. Yeah. Um, so let's 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 talk a little bit about how, how that event played out. So I think that event was great. Uh, I think it was a smashing success on all fronts, uh, except for Civic Flash winning uh, <laughs> this narrative, which I hated. Right. Uh, I don't begrudge. I mean, I love the players, right? Uh, nothing against any of the any of the people who played it. It's that playing against Cynic Flash over and over again is not a good play experience. Just the way playing against a lot of other, you know, we talked about Oko or Cats or like anything, anything dominating starts to irritate you. But like Cynic Flash is, if anything, more so in my mind, just because it's one of those things where like, it often just the game is completely out of your hands and you have no idea what's, you're just, you're just guessing which half of their deck they drew. And if you guess wrong, you just lose. Or maybe you lose regardless because they have both halves or you don't know and you never find out. And it's just not necessarily that fun a play experience depending on how you built your deck and what you're up, what you're playing with. Right. Also just the fun police, right? Like, Simic Flash 
punishes fun and loses to not fun. Right, if you're playing pure aggro, if you're playing something very direct, streamlined, you have a good matchup against something flash. If you're playing something funky, you have a bad matchup against something flash, unless you do something special. So this is kind of the fun police one, not the tournament, right? The Cats won the tournament right. quite impressively in the hands of uh, Piotr, who didn't even drop a match. Yeah. But, you know, something quite... So in terms of... And, and that's also something we had talked about, right? Like that idea, like, you know, we're like, who, who's going to win? You know, it was like, well, let's, let's not pick someone... Who's got buzz into day two? Right. Because that's no fun. Because they're probably someone like that has the best odds of winning the tournament. Right. So we predict. So I predicted that just guy and cats would would do their jobs. That the top decks would do do well. My understanding is that held on day one at least for, definitely for just guy. Just guy did very strong on day one, badly on day two. I don't know the numbers on the cats exactly. They seem to do fine. They certainly dominated the event in terms of winning the tournament without losing a match. Yeah. And seem to do fine otherwise. Um, but it seemed like this, I mean, the story with the Simic Flash deck was doing extremely well. And often it's like, well, I know these decks will do their jobs. One of the rogue decks might solve the solution. So if you read Brad Nelson's report, which I, I have had the chance to do, he's very clear, you know, Seth built this, Seth Manfield built this deck with this field in mind, with open deck lists in mind. Right. With top players choosing decks to face other top players with as the enemy. And so the deck is built such that, like, you know, it loses to aggro. That's not a problem. That's why the deck did so well. Is it sacrifices the matchups that didn't show up and takes advantage of knowing what it has to deal with, right? Like, Ceratops in particular, like, is a card that you have ways to deal with it, but it can be very problematic, but now you know you're facing it. So, like, you don't just pass the turn with a counterspell up into a Ceratops build. Right. If you don't have to, right, when they're on their four turn. Uh, one of the things I thought was pretty interesting is how much that deck's existence sort of uh, pivoted on playing Paradise Druid, right? Which is a card that maybe you don't necessarily or, or uh, think even about just, it that right, Or even just you think of it as not playing Brideborn Cutthroat, right? The switch from the blue 2-1 to right. the green 2-1. Right. Right. And just the idea of, no, I win this game by playing four and five drops, right? Nissa gets to add nine pack Ambusher. I'm going to play really powerful cards and now... World? Cavalier of Thorns. Right. Right? Out of the sideboard. I think it's actually a good innovation. I think you should you should use it going forward. But the idea is, well, I want to use counter spells and mana acceleration, just I want to bridge out of the first few turns, and then I want to counter anything big that you're doing, and then play something big that dominates the game. Right? Because that's how I win. And so the old version was one of these rock more cutthroats and that would come the big thing. If I stay alive. But this is just better. This has been proven just better. And suddenly we go to four copies of a Planeswalker, which is always something that, like, really blows my mind. When people go from zero copies of a legendary card to four <laughs> copies of a legendary card, it's pretty bad in multiples in many ways. Sure. Right? There's certainly the, I play Nyssa, I make a guy out of one of my lands, I attack you, you spend a card to kill Nyssa, I untap and play Nyssa. It's not a bad play pattern necessarily, but it's, it's not where this deck wants to be. Right. And still, it's like, no, this is just what the deck's about. This is the card I need. I'm just going to go all in on this being right. Especially if I have a breeding pool, so I can just, you know, untap and sit on a quencher to gate. And a brazen borrower. And they just, the deck did amazingly well. And now we have to deal with, like, you know, flash and anti-flash world again. What, what's the anti-flash world look like? It seems to be Raptos Knights. Okay. Is the deck that, in practice, people that I've seen on the ladder are choosing. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Is that what, that's what Carson was playing at the GP this weekend? 
I didn't see the GP result. Oh, no, he was playing Gruel Adventure with Ember Cleave. He top-aided. Yeah, I mean, because of the way coverage works, I was watching the Star City event. Right. Right, was the time that I had to watch Magic. But... Well, yeah, there were, well, you couldn't watch Oklahoma City. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, like, I mean, what can you do? You, you know, watch on HBO, right? Yeah. In Tulsa, nearby. But what you... What you end up doing is... Follow, you know, following what you see on Arena, and it's what we Edo's build, basically, is become very popular, of just, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to play a lot of threat, and I'm going to smash your face. In a, it's a pretty reliable, solid deck. And Cynic Flash clearly has a lot of problems with it, as people who created the deck would readily admit. They just didn't think anyone would play it, and they were right. Right. Yeah, Frank, Frank Carson's motto for Oklahoma was, believe the cleave. I mean, that's a good motto. <laughs> I've been believe the cleave for a while now. <laughs> You know, but we, we really need to do like a, you know, messed up cards from Throne of Eldraine power ranking at this point. You know, I'm still not sure where Embercleave fits in. I, I don't even know what's number one. Like, <laughs> I, there's two good choices. We could debate. Yeah. I mean, what do you have? Do you have Fires of Invention at number one? No, that's the thing, right? Oko and what's well, Fires I mean, are one and two in some oh, order. Sure, but they're both, they're gone, right? They've, they've been disqualified from the event. I mean, there's, they're not. So I think Oko might qualify just on how much how messed up it is in modern. <laughs> and, and you know, I, it's really it's not banned in modern. It's also not yet banned in pioneer, which is causing all sorts of. I'm seeing deck list after deck list after deck list. Or is it banned in pioneer now? I don't like, think it is. People were complaining today. I'm seeing deck list after deck list. I mean, it's still it's Monday. It's not lunchtime on the Pacific yet. We'll find out. Oh, that's right? true. But I'm seeing list after list that's like 56 cards that form a cohesive plan and four Oko's. Right? Like, I'm playing Oko and kind of adding a card to my deck that wouldn't be there otherwise to get Oko reasonably often, it seems like. Just because Oko's too good, I have to play Oko. Right. And people just come around to Oko's too good. Yeah, Once Upon a Time is banned in Pioneer, but Oko is not. Yes. And Veil of Summer, right. Yeah. Like, look, we were watching what they called an Urzimir, huh. right, in the finals of the Star City event. They played all three formats, but in the modern portion of the final. But was it an Urzimir? Or was it an Oko Mirror? Because <laughs> Oko seemed to be much more relevant to who was winning uh, than Urza. Like, just watching the games play out. Right. And they both had four or both, so it's really ambiguous. So Oko's going to end up ultimately banned in more formats than any other Planeswalker in history, right? Okay, it's getting banned in Pioneer. Like, I'm just going to... I don't even think I'm calling it, right? I'm just saying they will give up on banned in Pioneer. They have been... They managed to have other messed up stuff that was, like, higher, keeping it down for a bit. But ban, it, ban cards until Oko is broken, and then until Oko is broken, and then ban Oko seems like a very good yeah. way to fix yeah. Pioneer. Like, if Oko's not broken, then whatever's currently good is way too good. Right. You need to get rid of it. But, like, you can't have multiple mana elves, you know, 12-plus mana elves available and Oko in a format with the power level of Pioneer and not expect people to just play turn two Oko's and dominate formats. Like, what do you expect? It's bad enough they can play turn two Lovestruck Beasts and Steel Leaf Champions and stuff, which you can't really stop because there's a billion substitutes. But you can't let them Oko. Come on. (laughs) Um, and I think it gets banned in modern. Yeah, I do too. 
I do too. And I, I, I would not... I mean, I don't know what's going on with Legacy. I would not be surprised to see it restricted in Vintage if it's not or Eternal or Vintage or whatever they call it now. I don't think the difference between... I don't think you want to play four Oko's in, in Vintage. I think you're buying one or two anyway, so I think the restriction doesn't do it much. Okay. So it just seems like a kind of, like, screw you to players who are trying to port over their decks from other formats sure. to actually restrict it. Sure. Um, but it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if it actually <laughs> happened. Uh, and, and, and Legacy like, seems like... Like, there's, there's worse things to worry about in Legacy. It, for now, yeah. but... Might not stay that way. Like, Legacy is a... Legacy is a very slow adjusting format. People right. have car, real card access issues, real like years and years put into their decks. So, Evoco is just sort of subtly broken, right? Because like you know, this thing where like okay, this deck is fifty three forty seven against the field, it's broken. But like in Legacy, that could be a three year process before it becomes twenty five percent of the field. Right. right. So even if it's true, it's just fifty three everywhere. So there's no rush, right? I let them have their brokenness for a while. But yeah, just the, this year, like, everyone's just playing cards in the past year all over the place. Like, we can't continue. But right. we can't we can't be doing that again in 2020 and again in 2021. But, but hasn't Aaron Foresight said that the power level of Throne of Eldraine is the new normal? I think he's wrong. Like, I think that they think that Throne of Eldraine's power level is the new normal and missed high on Throne of Eldraine. Okay, well, that's right. Right, that, that is... And possible. haven't fully come to terms of how far they missed. Right. The Throne of Eldraine is way better than they think it was. And a lot of the cards... They missed high on more cards than they realize, and they've been keeping each other in check. But this set is generally just turbocharged. And... No. You can't do this power level and pretend it's not massive power creep, or pretend that it's not bad for the game. Like, magic does not... Can you imagine a standard with six thrones in it. Where every set is the power <laughs> level of throne. I mean, it might be fun. Even with 12 like if, if, you, if you balance the colors, you know, I mean, maybe that would be an exciting Are those decks better or worse than Pioneer decks? <laughs> they might just be straight up Pioneer decks at that point. Well, I mean, Pioneer would probably just be those decks. Yeah, so, like, yeah. what's the difference? But I think Pioneer now versus that format right before Throne rotates. I think those standard decks are just expect expectation would be better. Right. Right? Except for the whole, like, you have eight mana elves and so, and, like, certain other, like, basic stuff that they don't have to print. One would think, but they printed Gilded Goose. Right. I see decks, like, there are some decks that play Gilded Goose in Pioneer that don't play elves. That seems crazy. It's not that crazy. It works very well. First of all, it can work very well with Oko, and it can make food to gain you life. And so, like, if you're playing a deck that, like, kind of wants to hit three on two, but because Pioneer is so fast, it doesn't play anything that costs more than four anyway. Right. Okay. But maybe you don't really... You just want it for that short window, and now you have a zero-two, which is more useful than a one-one to your plan. Right. And then you have some other use for it later in the game. It gives you three life a turn later in the game if you just flood. Right. So, like, it actually is better, slash, you have a use for a bunch of food tokens, potentially. It's not that. Right. Right, like, in Modern, one of the things is that Urza can tap all the food tokens you've been making with your Goose and your Oko to just start spinning the wheel a lot, and your construct becomes massive. So, like, these Geese and these Oko just get completely out of hand, right? Which is not something that I thought about until I saw it in action, because I don't think about Modern very much. But then I just, oh, God. 
So like this Oko Urza thing is just the best thing to be doing. Why are you doing anything else? Right. Is Oko Urza everything? I'm sorry? <laughs> like, why would you even try to build something else? Like, just about what's the rest of this shell, right? I get a third color. I get to do whatever other cards I want. What is it? I don't know. But, like, I just can't imagine something being better than that right now. Like, there's just too Broco. Too much Broco in one deck. It's going to be the thing. Right. But who's to say? What, you, know, you sort of get a, a one more thing. And the question is, what is your other thing? And then there was disagreement. And I don't know the answer. But, but yeah, no, it was a really exciting to watch people play like a lot of different formats, get to see a lot of different decks. Uh, you do find it difficult after a while when you're streaming a lot and you're analyzing, watching MCs and you're watching in detail to watch like physical magic, being like, what's in that? What's in their hand? What's in their hand? I don't know. Right. It's so confusing. Right. What what's, just what's that alternate art card? Yeah, it's like not anyone's fault, right? The right. commentators are doing their best, uh, but. It, just, it becomes much harder to follow. I don't know how players who haven't been around as long as I have do it, necessarily. I, I, so there was, there was a bunch of discussion when Wizards announced that the World Championship was going to be played on Arena. Yeah. And some people were very upset about it. Yeah. And felt like this was a death knell for Paper Magic. And, I mean, to my mind, I'm like, I'm, I was excited. Like, if you're going to play Standard, like, for Worlds, then I want it... Well, I so, want to see it on Arena. Let's bring this back to the limited discussion for a second, right? Yeah. Like, that you, you asked the question about yeah. whether limited has a place. So, the reason Wizards keeps limited in, right, is to showcase it and to make it a marquee high-level format to keep regular players interested in limited because if they didn't do that, then regular people wouldn't know they should be drafting. And they should be drafting. Right. Right? Drafting is the most fun way to play Magic in person with your friends. Right. It's, it's, also, it's also the best method of card acquisition. Right, and it leads into that, and it's, it's good for business, and it's also good for players. And it's just very fun, very interesting. It teaches you how to play in a way that construction kind of doesn't fully do. And, you know, if I have a chance to play with good players right now, casually, I don't want to play constructed. Right. I want to draft. Right. But that tradition would die is the worry, and I think it's a good worry. If we didn't do limited all the time... And so we need to do limited at least, you know, once every set sure. for that. And maybe we could do that with limited Pro Tours being exclusively limited sometimes, but that's a tough sell for marketing reasons. So we do it systematically. And that's the one concern I have with the World Championships being on Arena, right? How do we do limited? So, um, I've been thinking about this a bunch, right? Like, obviously, watching a game of Magic get played on Arena is better TV than watching a game of Paper Magic. And you can import decks to Arena anytime this you is, want. And this, is, and this is what I was getting at. I feel like, even let's just assume even moving forward with Paper Pro Tours, yeah. 400 people in a room, everyone's playing Magic. There's no reason you couldn't import decks into Arena and have the feature match area be played on Arena and have the top eight Magic the top eight matches from the Pro Tour be played on Arena. Um, I mean, I, I worry other, about... Other than if they can't do the best three out of five. I do, or, I do worry about the optics in terms of marketing the physical cards and getting people to keep playing in person. You know, but... No, in terms of logistics and giving us a better show. Yeah. The top eight? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, we did an analysis stream. Um, we, both, we both did a co-stream of day one. 
Right. And then I went back and did an analysis stream of day three with some really good people, like some pro-level people joining me. Right. And it was a lot of fun. But I thought about, like, watching the stars, like, could I do this? Then like, no. I just don't have enough information about what's in people's hands. Right. To possibly be able to give that level of detail, even if the interest had, was there for that event, right? If you did an in-person event, like, you could, you could have support our coverage where they actually track people's hands and they have them listed on the side, right. right? But it would still be much tougher than an arena tournament, right? It would still require a lot more effort. I'm sure it would be, uh, like, we talk about the butter experience for, for products. You know, it has to work like butter. Yeah. It won't, right? On arena, it will. Right. On paper, even with the, the side tracks, it won't quite. Right? It's going to be too much friction. And yeah. so I don't think it's... I think co-streaming is good, but I think like the, the technical analysis the day after thing is probably no go. Right. Whereas on Arena, I think it's a go. I think it was a... a, a big Everything's success. there for you. I, it was so successful, I tried to do it with like, people show me your VOD of you streaming a deck, and then I'll pick. I got two applications, unfortunately, only. One of which was a Pioneer Mox Prelim, and one of which was a limited event. For Mox... But then like, the turnout was terrible. And so you know, people say, you know, tune in to support. And it's real, right? If you don't get the, the, the numbers, right. you say, well, the demand's not there. You know, I can't iterate on this when I'm drawing you know, a fifth of my normal audience or whatever it is. You know, because just, it doesn't feel like there's, it's ever going to get there in time. And like, you know, just, I don't have the ability to build it that slowly. Obviously, if I'd found a marquee player and done more advertising, I could have done better, but it was clear that this isn't even close, right? It's just, just no. And so I think it's limited to, you know, doing this in, on Arena, basically. Right. In one way or another, ideally with high-level competition, but, like, certainly on Arena. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think the World Champions should be on Arena. Right. I would like to see a draft I, done in pod. I would love, well, I mean, obviously we're, we're just dreaming of potting drafts on Arena. That would be just so much. But we could also just do the thing where they spin down on Magic Online for the draft only. I mean, you can, you can physically draft. Or physically draft. I mean, you just, can physically draft and then just, like, those deck lists get converted to text files very quickly and could just well, be just, uploaded into well, a I was suggesting that, like, when, I, when you follow a physical draft, when they film a physical draft, right? Yeah. It is still the best time you can have... Watching a watching an event, right? The, the the actual watching the draft is the best thing. Yeah, but it pales in comparison to if you could actually just see the pack. Yes. Right. So if the players were like drafting on Magic Online and they just couldn't, they had to reserve a card. They weren't allowed to just click on through. Right. Right. So everyone had time to discuss things, and you just got to see the the packs fully with discussions, and then you got the full the full draft chart at home. <laughs> right. Right. Then I think that would be amazing. And then it's very, very easy to change those decks and port them over to Arena and play the matches. Right. And that's what I would do. Um, but, like, one of the problems with trying to do Holiday Cube is, like, well, I want to stream a Holiday Cube. But, like, if I start off by streaming the draft, then nobody's there. So I have to, like, do something else first, right? Man, I, w I want to see the Holiday Cube draft. All right. So, I mean, <laughs> look, tomorrow I should be able to stream in the morning. And... You know, my plan was, you know, you set up, maybe you brawl, I mean, you visit brawl a few times, and, like, you, you know, you spend the first half hour or so doing something else, and you're like, okay, you know, the first 40, 50 people are here, I can go draft, and people can talk about it, and we can, we can go have some fun. And I won my, I, I, I won my draft on, uh, on camera that I did, 
And then I haven't been able to win a draft since. Because, <laughs> like, apparently, you know, viewers help. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's also just a... little extra pr- pressure of the uh, observer. Maybe. Also just high variance, obviously. Yeah. Like, yeah. just things haven't broken as well. Like, people are doing such crazy shit. It's crazy stuff to me. But, like, that time I was doing the most crazy stuff. And then later on, someone else was. Yeah. I think it wasn't my last second drafted, though. Yeah. So far, I think. Yeah. Uh, but... But, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have the World Championship in the arena. I don't think it's the death knell of Paper Magic or anything. I do want to make sure that... So, like, one... When Crocky's commented online, and this is an example of the danger... Right. People... I, I have since been informed that real players have the belief that Limited has, like, real skill and competitive integrity. Is this true? Like, you know, and, and I don't think he... He wasn't trolling, right? He was actually asking, because, like, it suddenly wouldn't have occurred to him that Limited was a real right. format... And, like, that's the danger, right? Because someone who's, like, just learned on Arena only and only playing for a year, like, doesn't know the draft is free. Right. Well, it, it, it's not like there's just not a ton of it. You know, there's still variance in standard. Like, people just don't – you don't control for the same – it's a different type of variance. Yeah, it, it's just a thing that, like, it was – I understand why if you haven't experienced it. If you, he may have literally never done a draft in his life. Wow. Right, right. Someone who's only been. I don't know. I mean, I assume years. he has only the bot drafts. Like he hasn't done a potted draft in his life, quite right. possibly. Right. So he doesn't know. Right. This is the real thing. Interesting. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. It's man. I haven't done. We haven't done. I want to do a live draft. Uh, it's one of those things. I'm like, I just, I got so. It's funny. This is the you know real downside of arena. I've gotten so burnt out on Throne of Eldraine Limited, on Arena. That I forgot how much I enjoy live drafting Throne of Eldraine. And, uh, no, it's a great, it's a great live draft. And, and I need to do an F and M. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard for me to find the time. Yeah. But. Well, same. I yeah. would enjoy. I mean, part of his holiday cube is just like taking limited priority right now, right? Yeah. So like, that's not going to happen until it's almost time for Theros. Yeah. So. Is it almost time for Theros? We've got a month. Yeah. But like by the time the cube is done, we'll have like a few weeks and we'll be in previews. Right. Well, so, there's some previews right now. Yeah. Let's say a lot. Um, so let's talk a little bit. About what's what we've seen from what we've seen and what we know, right? Because like yeah. the biggest thing is sort of we have. So what are our mechanics, right? You always ask the question, what mechanics are we going to see? So we have escape. So escape is essentially um, you flashback for creatures, or right? Permanence. So the pattern seems to be: I spend more mana, I get the thing or the thing with a bonus, right? And I have to exit out cards from my graveyard to replay the you know, you play the thing it's, from it's, your like, it's like it's like on Earth. To some extent, except that the the creatures I think, you know, think of it as flashback that you can keep casting. Yeah, right. Yeah, flashback yeah. with the cost does it, yeah. you don't exile, you instead just have to pay extra things. It can be on right. permanence. And you and you can do it over and over again. Yes. And so I'm down on escape in terms of power level. I expect it to miss low by default. Right. And the reason is, first of all, because the abuse level like, with the number of self-mill things available, is going to cause people to worry. But also just because we have so many hyper-efficient... When, when you say cause people to worry, you mean, like, on the R&D side, yeah, yeah. they're going to be more conservative pushing this mechanic because they're like, oh, we've got drafted Secrets and we've got It's this, just so we- obvious how it can go very wrong and create horribly, like, unfun play patterns. Right. That's going to be tough to push it. And also because... They just don't get, or didn't get, certainly at the time of making Theros, what happened with Throne. And how amazing the Throne 
if mana efficiency, card advantage, just good stuff, like, amazing engines are, right? Like, look at, like, Autumn's deck from, you know, or Jeskai Fires, or several other possible decks. I'm still playing Autumn's deck in in my grind up to Mythic on, right. on Arena, and but, just... But, like, think about these decks as options, right? Every turn they spend all of their mana yep. to do cool stuff, and they just never run out of gas. Basically, the no, entire game. I, I, I have played that deck and discarded to hand size. Right. Every turn for five turns, and not because I wasn't doing stuff, or not, but because I just had too much stuff going on. You weren't on. missing land drops either, right? No, I'm not missing land drops. I'm playing tapping all my mana every turn, and I'm like, God damn it, I've got to discard. Oh, hopefully, I draw too many lands to discard because I'm just, you know. Right, I don't want to discard spells. <laughs> that feels terrible, but discarding lands is, is free. <laughs> I, I know that emotion, but... <laughs> right, but the thing is, like, if you're competing against a bunch of that, yeah. right, like, Fires of Invention decks that just cast two five drops every turn the entire yeah. game because they're all cantropy. Like, I'm going to spend my mana to, like, inefficiently cast escape cards, like, so I don't spend cards on them. Like, and my other opponent is, like, recursing a cat to use Trail of Crumbs every turn. Well, how about, and then playing Corvald. Like, what chance... This you, isn't going to work. You, you brought up something when we talked about this off-cast. Off yeah. There's also a natural predator for escape decks already lurking in the moat around Throne of Eldraine. Yes. There's a... So, like, I, I'm creating a list of, like, cards to remember as you go... As you progress to Theros. And Lachmere Serpent... <laughs> is way as, bigger. As soon as you said this, like, my excitement level for Elspeth just went, like... Right, because you can't protect Elspeth very well. Like, right. in terms of, like, never letting her be in the graveyard for right. a sorcery activation, that's not realistic. And, like, compare Elspeth to Lockmere Serpent, and not... The heads up is, is a massacre, right? Lockmere Serpent just removes Elspeth and comes down as a 7-7 seven, seven for 6 mana. Repeatedly. This is terrible. But, you know, also attacks through all the tokens to kill Ospeth if it ever becomes relevant. So right. the other Lockmere Serpent can finish you off or whatever. But it's more like Lockmere Serpent, every five cards, it eats their graveyard, which otherwise a resource right. for that. Blue, black, exile five target cards from an opponent's graveyard, return Lockmere Serpent from your graveyard to your hand. Right, so I eat your resource right. and get my resource, get my thing back. Or I can eat my own resources to get my thing back less efficiently. I, I wonder, so there's the, the claws activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. Yeah. Seemed a little weird to me because it's, I, I almost wonder if that got added in on the end. No, I, I think that was just a, I don't want the end step Okay, you didn't cast a spell at all. I'll get back my serpent. Like you have to do a little bit of work. Okay, it's hard to be substantially better without that text. I agree, and I, I, I've always, but it's always felt it, I mean, like in a world of push throne of Aldrin cards, this almost felt pulled back a little bit. Like this card is like completely bonkers and limited, right? Like it's <laughs> yes. completely bonkers. Yes, yes. And in constructed, like it's hard to find the right shell, but like in the right shells, like this card has one of the highest quotients of. You show this card in your hand to your opponent as you cast it, and your opponent's slow, slowly dawns on your opponent they cannot possibly win the game. Right? Like, no matter how much they have an answer for it right now, the game is actually over. Right. Because I am going to recurse my endgame threat multiple times, and there is nothing you can do about it. Right? So, even if I manage to deal with it, this time, 
And the next time, well, there's going to be a time after that. Uh, actually, as I think about this a little bit, I, I assume actually that clause is so you don't just exile your opponent's entire graveyard. Right. So if you could do it as an instant, I could just go yeah, exile five, return it again, exile five. In response to it again, again in response to it again. Yeah. I could just eat your graveyard for two mana, you know, in two, in two mana gulps. Yeah, so you have to add another awkward clause to prevent that, so you might as well just make it yeah. activate slowly and balance yeah. it accordingly. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That makes in sense. In any case, it's a, it's a card that I'm already playing in one of my builds, right? Okay. The Vantage Gargoyle deck. Right, right. And even though that deck's not quite good enough in general, because there's so many crazy things going on, like, that card is really good. Like, you could sideboard it reasonably in any number of decks as long as they had the mana available, right? Like, Lua Salvato's deck, for example, could easily sideboard in Lockmere Serpent as, like, a pretty great thing to just, okay, if you counter it, it's coming back. Right. You know, and if, it's a great thing to accelerate, too. And, and, you know, obviously having Islands and Swamps helps a lot, so, like, having a third color makes it awkward, but it's just a really great card, like, even if you don't get full value out of it. And it's going to make things a lot harder. So I, I, I'm, I'm bearish on escape, basically. Okay. I mean, we'll see. I'm bearish on escape. I'm bearish on Elspeth specifically, which we'll get to as soon as I... But like, so we'll talk about Elspeth, right? So apparently there's some disagreement about how good Elspeth is. But I am pretty down on Elspeth. Like, I I am two-star on Elspeth on my, you know, zero to five-star scale. Like, okay. you could argue for three, but you'd have to be pretty convincing. And I don't, like, I don't believe you if you say more than that. So, Elspeth costs four mana, right? Which is a lot more, which is more than many planeswalkers these days. Yeah, two white, white. You, you get five loyalty. Her minus one ability is like two plus two plus ones this turn, which is like, yeah, it's threatening, but like we're paying four mana in the modern era. Like four power for, for five, for four mana is not exciting, even with haste. And it's a very, very fragile four power for four mana, so it's, it's not exciting to me at all. It's nice to have as an option, yeah, but it's yeah. not exciting. The minus two is two one ones, but here we're looking at effectively four one ones if you can protect Elspeth for a turn for your man, for your four mana. Again, this is just, you know, kind of below rate. It's a right. turn delay on two of them. You might not get the second two, or might have to like chump block to get them, or any number of things can go wrong. Just one ones just aren't exciting right now. My next run is completely irrelevant. Minus three, you gain five life. Okay. <laughs> like, very few decks are going to be putting you under life total pressure. And those decks are going to, you're going to want a minus two rather than minus three anyway. Because the chump box is going to save you more than five life. Right. So, like, I just don't see this coming together very well as a thing. And you have to spend four, four, six mana as a sorcery to get this effect next time. Which basically means tapping out your control deck. Or having more deck than your aggressive deck ever has before the game is effectively over. So yeah, there are worlds in which you'll play an aggressive deck and then you'll like get to recurse Elspeth once or twice if you put it in at the end of the game when you flood, and maybe that would do some games. And there are games where your control deck gets to play one or two Elspeth at its end game so that like it does something in the early game and eventually you have a way to reliably kill your opponent. But kill the Frisian Borrower is fine already. Like this is <laughs> I can definitely see playing one Elspeth in, in the finale of Revelation slot right. in Azorius, right? In the theory that you need a card that just renders the game unwinnable for your opponent in the long run. Right. This does that. Well, that, I mean, that card sounds like at least a... Th I mean, if you're at least a three right there, right? I mean, my scale is pretty harsh. Okay. But I don't think that, like, 
it's going to get a one of in one deck that's marginally an upgrade. You, it is that impressive to me. Like, I don't think you actually win very many games you didn't already win. Okay. I think it's just like, all right, fine, I can see it happening. Like, to me, three is like constructed staple that gets played a lot. Four is top card in the set. Five is should not have been printed. Okay. Um, two is, you know, probably gets played somewhere sometimes. Oh, okay, okay. But like, you know, shrug. One star is, I can't say with confidence that it will never be played in anything. <laughs> but I can look, I can give you a withering look if you do play. And no stars is the as I can. <laughs> well, in no stars is if, I'm confident that if I, if no stars is if my opponent plays this card, I don't ask myself, what crazy abomination am I facing that actually wants this card? I think to myself, my opponent doesn't know how cards work, doesn't know what good cards are, and also what crazy abomination they built given they have no idea what cards work and they're doing this thing. <laughs> But, like, you know, you worry... Sort of, there's this thing where, like, if they play a marginal card, you often are, like, it's time to worry more, right? It's space finding that must die. Because, right. like, why are they playing this card? I don't understand why they're playing it. Kill it. And no star cards are, like, no. Right? Or they paid five mana for something that should have cost three. And, like, I'm going to aggressive... I'm going to worry about it a lot more than if they played the version of it that cost three. Because they wanted it enough. So I th- they must want it a lot more, you'd think, but they probably just don't know how to value it cards because they wouldn't be playing it at all. Right. So there, there's there's only one other escape card that we've seen officially so far. Which is why I, I mentioned the pattern of pays more and gets more, right? Yeah. As the sort of idea. I think there might have been two, but like I... I I'm only, The only one I'm seeing is Underworld Ragehound. Yeah. No, no, no. There's one that... I think it's not officially spoiled, but I think I saw an unofficial spoiler. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. But sort of the pattern... On both of those cards is you get plus one plus one counters when you escape, but it costs more mana right. to do it. So yeah, underworld underworld rage hound is one R for a three one. It has to attack each turn, which is in flavor for red, right? I mean, you it's in flavor. Begin. It's clearly below rate, right? Given that's like clearly like way worse than Rimbuck Knight, for example. Right. Uh, but you can escape for four three R uh, and three cards from your graveyard and get it as a four two. Yeah. You guys, a 4-2, we still have to attack every turn. Right. Which is, you know, a plausible thing to do when you're out of mana. Right. I can... I mean, def- this is a common... This is not... This is obviously not a card that is designed to be uh, earth-shattering. Pretty good limited card. I mean, I would not be shocked if, like, one or two copies makes its way into mono red. Yeah. Right, if there aren't better escape cards for red. Right. It's just something to do with your mana late in the game and just to give you some sort of... Uh, some sort of sustainability. Just, I'm just not that sad. This is my two drop. Yeah. And compared to the ability to just have extra cards in my deck later, it's worth it. Potentially, right? I'm saying I would be very unsurprised if it turned out this is a huge liability and you can't do it. But <laughs> maybe, question mark? Right? If you have actual no other use for your graveyard. Um, it also has the advantage of it lets you kill your graveyard. So one dynamic I think to watch out for is Ventress Gargoyle into the story Drowning the Lock are all very good payoffs for mowing the opponent. Right. And right now, the deck's not good enough, and part of that is because the self-mill angle where you turn those cards into yourself doesn't have that much payoff for you necessarily. But, I mean, turn other cards that would mill your opponent mill yourself, but I can definitely see the potential for decks that are like, by default, I'm milling myself. Yeah, most of the time. 
But, occasionally I MML4 at you. Just to get you to seven. Right. To get my good cards online. You know, something like that. Um, or just Venture Scargoyle was like, I get to self move myself every turn while hopefully blocking, if I have enough cards in my hand, and then eventually I will attack. And this lets me blow my own graveyard out. Prevents it from being a liability. Right. Uh, all right, so what, so what else, what other mechanics have we seen? Obviously enchantments matter in it, Yeah, we've seen enchantment creatures. So we've seen heroic, I believe we've seen heroic. Although I don't think they call it heroic. I think they do. So, I, thought I, I, thought so I, I saw Hero of the Winds, yeah. um, 3W, for a 1-4 flying, whenever you cast a spell that targets, targets Hero of the Winds, oh, yeah, not creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0. Yeah, I'm not control. sure why they wouldn't do it. I mean, it's Theros, right? Why wouldn't we call it Heroic if we're doing Heroic? But yeah. I, I've seen enough of the cards in Theros that I'm treating this set as if it has Heroic for now. Right. And I'm going to use the word yeah. Heroic until proven, other, until sure. proven otherwise. Sure, sure. As a effective mechanic, maybe they just thought there were too many other mechanics and they didn't want to put the... I think too many keywords has been known to confuse players. Yeah. Um, but I think Pierre's just also like keywords, so I'm very surprised to see it not here. He's even called the hero. Let, it, let him be heroic. <laughs> let, this, let the hero be heroic, right? Yeah. Whoever he or she is, or whatever, just... Yeah, let's, let this happen. Uh, enchantment creatures are back. We see, like, Nyxborn yeah. Courser, 2-4... For a one WW vanilla creature. Yeah. As far as courses go, pretty weak. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're just taking that as evidence that this thing exists. Yeah. And we have, we have better examples already, right? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, just worth noting, uh, Revoke's existence is just something to keep in mind that, you know, becomes a much more versatile, almost becomes a modal card where it's destroy target artifact or enchantment, but then it also... Sometimes will also just be creature. Or god. Or god, yeah. Or demigod. Yeah, and it's exile. So. Or demigod, apparently. Yeah. Daxos is a hint, right? Right. Like, Daxos is another one of these gu- signpost guides to what the set's going to be, right? So Daxos, blessed by the sun, WW, legendary creature, enchantment, demigod. Uh, oh, by the way, devotion's also back. Yeah, devotion's back, right? 2-0. Daxos is toughest is equal to your devotion to white, which means it's always 2-2 or better. When another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies, you gain one life. Okay. So this is a very important card. Obviously. Yeah. Both for what it signifies and for what it just does, right? It It's a key piece in the White Devotion deck. Right? So there's not that like I think it might exist. I think a white I think Mono White is very, very close to good enough with no extra help. Just access. Because it's like a one and a half soul sister, right? right. Plus, yeah. it actually has a body worth fighting for. Right. So suddenly, the entire white life gain engine becomes a consideration again. Uh, it's also interesting to to wonder about which of these cards that you, you got to start thinking about. This might be like the first set, or maybe the last set was, but where cards start getting designed for pioneer, right? You know, we always talk about what card, where cards are aimed. Right, cards are aimed at modern. Cards are aimed at you know the eternal formats. Cards are aimed at commander. This might be. This almost feels like with the return of some mechanics that are already floating around in Pioneer, you get the ability to augment some. Yeah, my guess is it's we're we're two set, we're one or two sets early for that, just because yeah. like they released Pioneer earlier than they expected. Okay. And also. They know they're banning a bunch of cards, so until you know what the format looks like at all. 
Like, I think they basically had no idea what was going to happen when they released right. Pioneer because they just correctly didn't try and predict it. So I'm fine with... Let's see what happens. Yeah, but Devotion decks. Nick Vos has, has been already pretty a pretty strong player in the Pioneer format. I've seen many calls. I've seen calls to Bennett. Yeah. So, you know, anything that says Devotion on it, I think people... Are I, I think the argument to. on Nick Vos of kind of like no good ever comes of this... <laughs> But I think that's not true. I think good has come of it in the past. I think it's it's fine to, like, see what happens. Right. Obviously, we need to keep an eye on such things. But, like, we have example of a god. So, like, clearly the gods are back. You know, our... The demigod, our, yeah. But we have Arthios, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. Shroud Veiled. That card is not a constructed card. Or so, rather, it's a commander card. Which, you know... I don't really count as constructed. I think yeah, of it why is. Why is that card not showing up on the official Wizards spoiler? That Wizards card, did officially announce Wizards it. did officially announce this card. Well, that's one of the reasons I, I tend not to use their spoiler, not <laughs> because I care that much about unofficially spoiled, you know, leaked cards not appearing. Right. Because they're often just very slow to to put a specific right. card on it. Yeah. And just like Mythic Spoiler, for example, like will update their cards within five minutes right. most of the time. Yeah. Whenever anyone says anything. Right. And like I mean, we all want the new, right? I mean, right. we don't want to be complete. Athreos Shroud Veiled is certainly a card. This is, you know, we talk about, I just mentioned the idea of cards being aimed places. This is a card, this is a heat-seeking missile for the commander format. People love gods. People love black-white decks. Um, th- this is this is just aimed directly this is at a good box format. Top. This is a good box topper if you're going to have box toppers. Yes. This is a card that I have very little worry is going to make it tough for players at competitive events to find it when they need it. Right. If they do, it's going to be one copy or two. It's not going to be a lot. Right. Like, that would even be weird. Mostly people will use this commander. Right. Right, and probably the com- probably will be your commander if you're going to run it. Oh, yeah, so a- absolutely. I probably don't put this in a deck if it's not our commander. Right. Right. Because, like, you have to be pretty serious about it if it's going to be a creature. So, Athreo Shroud Veil, four, white, black, for a four, seven, legendary enchantment creature god, indestructible. Uh, as long as your devotion to white and black is less than seven, it isn't a creature. At the beginning of your end step, put a coin counter on another target creature. Whenever a creature with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. Yeah, maybe I spoke too soon. Like, maybe, maybe this could be an enchantment. But it's never a creature in real constructive. Right. Right? Like, Devotion to White and Black's probably not going to reach seven. Right. But I'm not sure you want it to, right? Right. So but, but what this does is every turn, you put a coin counter on something. That means if it dies, you get it. Right. And so <laughs> you put on your own creatures to save them if they die sure. as well, which is just as powerful. Right. And so, you know, it's one of these cards that, like, if I'm playing a White-Black deck or Esper deck, yep. they just trades cards fairly... And this comes down and lives, and it's an indestructible card. Right. I win, right? Right. I just, like, start wrathing and getting cards back every time I wrath. Right. Or just murderous rider that take it, or, like... Yep. Whatever. Put this on my Mazelga Bond Hall and attack. You want it to be on a block or not? You know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. And so, like, maybe this plays. And so, like, on reflection, no, I think it's too good. Like, I mean, I'm too scared that this will play. <laughs> I had six drops, so probably not. Probably not. too expensive. But... Like, I think the... I the, can see it. The, the comparable card that I think you need to look at for this is something like Debtor's Knell. 
And Debtor's Knell you didn't have to do as much work for. Right. But certainly a card that did see play in its standard era. Yeah, no, I don't think this goes anywhere again, but... But you're, you're not putting this at I'm zero. Not, I'm not shocked enough if this, if, this, if this hits. You have this like what? Two? One or two. One but or I, two. One and a half. I think one star cards are fine. Yeah. Two star cards aren't fine. Okay. This might be a two star card now that I think about it. Like, the play, like sort of, it's very similar to Elspeth in my mind in the sense of this does a very specific thing that can take over a game. That a very specific deck might want. But that I don't think people should be playing in general just because. Right. Right? Like, even if I had a white-black deck that, like, could plausibly get Devotion, you need five other peps on your cards. That's really rough. Right? But even it, you know, six is a lot of math. Right. Um, worth noting, while we're just talking about product on this page, which is, like, fixed, what they call... What are they calling this stuff? They're calling it fixed deck products. There's also Elspeth Undaunted Hero as an additional Elspeth. I, mean, I assume Walker. it's terrible. I haven't it's, seen it's it. Not, it's not good. It's two WWW for a legendary Elspeth, five loyalty, plus two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures, minus two search your library and or graveyard for a card called Sunlit Hoplite and put it onto the battlefield. What is Sunlit Hoplite? I don't know. We'll have to go look at the other page and see. If you search your library this way, shuffle it, and then minus eight until end of turn. Creatures you control gain flying. Get plus X, plus X, where X is your devotion to white. So minimum, it's a white overrun at minus eight because you have three white from... And it's probably, well, except it dies. It's but. probably lethal a lot if you yeah. have any kind of plausible army. So, like... Actually, that doesn't necessarily suck. Um, so first of all, we, we have not seen the sunlit hoplite yet. I'm I might be more bullish on that than Sun's Nemesis. <laughs> like you get three pips, right? Um, the plus two, not plus one, right? Gives you two power, which what? is you know also like plays into the counter the, the the plus one plus one counter theme if you are trying to proliferate madness, right? In various ways, right? Or get triggers. Benefits off of triggers of counters being placed on things or any number of other things, not nothing. Um, and the minus ability, let's see what this creature is. Right. Right. If this creature is serious business, right? If it's like a 3-3. Three, three, right. You know, or even a 2-2 two, two with a nice ability. Like, I don't know. Right. Well, imagine for a moment that it was just something innocuous like Nick's Born Courser. Minus two, put a two four onto the battlefield with two white pips. Two four with two white pips is really interesting to me at this point, I think. Right. right. Um, I mean, like, look, it's not going to be Teferi, right? I, I, like, I assume Sunlit Hoplite's going to be a one. It feels like a Hoplite's generally cost one. If it's just a one one, this card's probably bad. But, like, I sort of... I don't know. Like we're we're still minus twoing to do something. It doesn't have escape, so, so it's probably so, not good enough. So but. previous hoplites in Magic, yeah, have included a crow and hoplite, red white for a one two, with some sort of attacking trigger. Battlewise hoplite, which was heroic, white blue for a two two. Blood crazed hoplite one and a B for a two one heroic. Favored hoplite, which was white for a one two with heroic, 
and Seder Hoplite, which was red for a 1-1 with Heroic. So I'm going to assume a Hoplite is a soldier. It's probably going to cost one or two and be somewhere between, you know, it's going to be 1.5 slash 1.5. Right, and be Heroic of some kind. And be Heroic of some kind. All right. So it's probably very, very narrow at best. I mean, again, the fault is it sucks. But, yeah. Um, or it's something that interacts with counters, right? Because then you put a counter it on it. It less obviously sucks than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> I guess I put it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty big not fan of these supplementary fixed products having cards in them. Yeah. It's better than box toppers if they're printed to demand because you can just buy them if they have good cards. But I'm still not a fan. Right. Like, I think there's a reason we... Do what we do. Yeah. Right? Um, Scry is back in this set. Yeah, Scry is just... I don't know if it's evergreen or not, technically, but it's clearly here. Yeah, I'm looking at Memory Drain, which is... Counter-Target Spell Scry 2, cost 4. Yeah, so. not not something that... We're not a really, card. No. But. I mean, you will play someone in draft who has five of them, and, you know, it'll be a frustrating experience. I mean, there'll be games that are won by this card, sure, but... Yeah. Nobody in Constructing will play this yeah. card by choice if they understand magic. Um, sagas are back? Yeah, Sagas are back. I mean, it makes sense, like, flavor-wise. Right, right. So so what is... So the Akron War is the one we've seen so far. 3R, uh, Chapter 1, gain control of target creature for as long as Akron War remains on the battlefield. Chapter 2, until your next turn, creatures your opponent's control, attack each combat if able. So it's like a multi-turn ray of command where you can sort of right. keep for it one your opponent. It won't be tapped this turn. It'll be, ta- it'll be untapped next turn. More importantly, it can block because turn 3 is just solar blaze, their fe- solar blaze every tapped creature. Right. And their side just attacked. Right. And your side didn't have to. Right. And chapter 3 is each tapped creature. Your side ta- 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 just untapped. So, yeah. like, you probably don't get hit. Which means the creature you took also doesn't get hit. So it has a chance to block and die. Right. Which is more important than anything else, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so kind of an interesting card. I don't, I don't know if this is... Where, where, would you, where would you put this? I'd probably have to give it one star, yeah. but I'll try not to. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's just not the type of effect that actually feels good enough. Like, in general, the late action refs are really bad. Yeah. You just tend to die. Right, right. There's actually one that, right, there's like Phyrexian Scripture at four, which is actually just a Wrath, but it takes two turns, and it's barely ever seen play. I mean, the hope is it's a one-sided Wrath, right? Like, right, sure. Out of like an aggressive red deck, you go a Crow and War on turn four, take their big creature, smash their face. Right. Then you attack with everything, including their big creature, and smash their face again, and you give the creature back. <laughs> but everything else on their side dies, and like, you've right. done your job... I mean, yeah, it could, it could, it could be okay, but like, just four does so much these days, right? So yeah, I'm just not very excited. But um, all right. So what what else do we know is in? I mean, so to me, the um, there are exciting cards. That, there there are probably two. There are two um, exciting cards so far. Uh, one of them is Daxos. Okay. Blessed by the sun, which we talked about briefly before, like. You know, white creatures are a thing that, like, always want to be there, want to be back. This gives white a reason to be. And the other obviously exciting card is Staggering Insight. Yep, that's the card I was just looking at. 
blue-white for an enchantment aura, enchanted creature, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, has lifelink, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Right. Contrast this with Curious Obsession, of course, which was, you get the draw a card business, but... The rest of the drawback. The rest is if you don't keep attacking with it, right. it falls off. Right. So now, instead, we have a huge benefit. It costs an extra mana, which is a huge deal. But you couldn't play it on turn one anyway. Right. And now, if you play this, you get a plus one, plus one on lifelink, which means that you are attacking for almost certainly two plus, gaining two plus life, and you're drawing the card. And now there's a bunch of creatures you can target, probably. For heroic purposes. I was just going to say, oh, by the way, you know, you, might, a creature have, you, you want, might have put two counters on that card. It's a creature that, yeah, if you put it on a heroic creature, you're in a really great place. Or if you just put it on a flyer out of a white blue flyer deck. Right. Right, and you have the ability to play protection for that creature. Right. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, this card is, seems very good. Seems like it will... Certainly seem play, see play. Yeah, a lot I of, think could yeah. even see play in some older formats. Maybe. I, I don't think it's impossible. One thing to keep in mind is that the cards that were supporting Curious Obsession. You know, you don't have a dive down. You don't have a spell pierce. You don't, you know, you don't... You have to play cards that, like, are much worse at that. V, if I've, if I've learned anything in the course of playing Magic for as long as I have, there's always a dive down. It's not actually... Not <laughs> I mean, a there's, always, there's something. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I've been looking. Yeah. And and there's nothing obviously good to take its place except God. I mean, God's willing is probably next man up. Right, right. But it's... I, I like a God's willing. It's fine. It's not where you want to be, but, like, just in general, like, I don't feel like the rest of the deck quite has where it wants to. And also, like, that deck was able to cheat on its mana a lot by being mono. Right. And this is telling you you can't do that, right? You have to play a... a a card that wants to be played on turn two, right. ideally, a lot, or certainly turn three, that costs W U. Right. So you do not even have enough time to fail a passage. Right? Because you have to you have to play an untapped land on turn one to play your one drop to get to this. And so fable passage doesn't work. Right. Right? And your tap land doesn't work. So only hollowed fountain right now can help you. So it's gonna be a big deal whether or not we get help that an aggro deck can right. accept. Um, yeah, I think I would, I would, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on this card. I think, I think you could see it showing up on hexproof creatures in older formats. You know, oh, absolutely. Like, bog- doing boggly things. This definitely does boggly things. Uh, I mean, it's got a lot of text on it. Yeah. Um, I certainly think in standard, you know, I have a deck already kind of mostly built that <laughs> wants to do this. It just provides another angle, right? For, well, what is the deck? Well, it's just the Blue Light Fire deck is back. Okay. Right? Like, it's that deck has been closed for a while, but for various reasons, clearly not good enough. And maybe this pushes it to the player can, where it can do things. Right. This is also very, I mean, I want to put, I want to try this with Fairy Vandal. Sure. Oh my gosh. Put this on Vandal on turn three. This seems great. Attack. <laughs> put a counter on it. Let's keep oh. going. Oh, did you tap out on your turn? Hold on. Fairy Vandal, untap, attack, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Put a counter on it. How'd that happen? <laughs> Put another counter on it next turn. Yeah. That's yeah, probably- yeah the first, I mean, the first time you hit with this, you hit for two, but it becomes a three-four. Right, and it has lifelink. Yeah. That's and every time it hits you, it grows. Yeah. 
So, Dervish in the Air, right? It yeah. Means... Oh, yeah, that seems sweet. Uh, I'm into it. Uh, what, what do you think about Ashiok, the other Planeswalker we've seen that, you know, we can get out of booster packs so far? You, you mean like, you know... Dark, and there's two, and the there's dark, two Ashioks. The dark, ba- the dark, hopefully balanced to fairy, basically? Yes. Um, <laughs> so we have our, back to our traditional Planeswalker design, 3UB, uh, plus one, get a 2-3, blue and black nightmare, with when this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Okay. Minus three, uh, bounce a card. Um, then the that card's owner exiles a card from their hand. So this is like it's like a recoil. Yeah. Ish. I don't expect this to be much. I mean, the problem is these days, like the discard half of that is is I mean, it's exiling, but it's probably not going to be that impactful. Well, I mean, the idea is if you can get your opponent hellbent. Yeah, you can kill things. The minus three is an exile target. But decks that, decks that play Ashiok, you know, generally don't hellbent their opponents unless their opponents are just, you know, don't care about right. whether they're hellbent. Right. Uh, which will happen if, but now they just will care, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, minus seven, you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponent ha- owns from exile without paying the mana costs. So, this is obviously a much less impressive ultimate than most of these competing cards. Like, a lot of players, you'll just get three creatures or otherwise, like, nothing that scary. I mean, it's fine, but, like, it's not necessarily that much better than just continuing to plus one. Right. Right, so I think there'll be all... And you're only plus one-ing instead of plus two-ing. So my guess is that Ashiok will not ultimate very often. Right. Occasionally. But, like, a lot of matches, it'll just be like, eh, eh, eh. Or if you have, it's because you've been hitting your opponent with two threes a lot. <laughs> and you've actually already won. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. If your opponent hasn't put up much resistance to your little army of two threes, you're probably in pretty good shape. You probably don't need it. You can just get another two three and keep your planeswalker, yeah. And the minus three is like, it's fine. It's like so much worse than a talk. Right. But think about it, like all of these abilities are like less exciting than the Deferi ability at the same position. Right. Right? So it's like worse, worse, worse. Now Deferi was stupid. So <laughs> eh. You know, it, it's more of another Rao type right. of, like, you know, it's a it's a mediocre five-mana Planeswalker. I mean, would you play it if this was who you were? Maybe? I mean, you know, the, the play pattern is, like, play it, plus it, assuming a, a, a neutral board. Yeah. Plus it, bounce a blocker, attack on the next turn. You know, you're on, you're I mean, on three. Yeah, it's like get some, get some creature cards milled. You know, get some cards exiled, see what happens. But, yeah, I just can't get into this. And this is not a, and this is not a card where you're like, I have a deck for this, right? That, like, right now that seems to be your vibe on like, you're like, I can see where this goes within the existing set of cards. Or I, I can see where I have half a deck. Right, I can see right. where I strategy I want to be doing. And here it's like, okay, I'm playing Esper Control and I don't have a Teferi, so I play an Ashiok and I'm sad. Right. Like, it's vaguely, you know, or I'm playing Grixis Control and I have an Ashiok and I'm sad. But it's like, I'm playing, like, Grixis Fires and I have an Ashiok and, like, no, I have a Nicol Bolas that costs the same amount of mana and does everything better. Right? Like, this is a terrible Nicol Bolas. Look, look at it this way. Isn't this a terrible Nicol Bolas? Sure. It's, like, slightly more castable. Yeah. But Nicol Bolas is, like, isn't that great? Like, right. Nicol Bolas is fine. Right? Even when you can cast you, it. You get what you pay for, man. <laughs> I paid good colored mana for that guy. <laughs> that son of a bitch showed up. And then didn't do very much. I mean, like, yeah. 
Uh, then, then now there's also another Ashiok. So that was Ashiok Nightmare Muse. There's also Ashiok Sculptor of Fears. Technically. Which is a Planeswalker deck card, I assume. Uh, four blue-black for four loyalty, plus two draw cards. Uh, this, this, is just, this is only technically a Planeswalker. This is only technically a card. Like <laughs> Yes. I'm just... I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like... I'm com- mentioning comparing it. Comparing it to the other Elspeth. Right? The other Elspeth, like, I had to think. Yeah. Here I don't. Like, yeah. I finished reading the first two abilities. You know, yeah, no. Plus two draw card. Each player puts the top two cards in their library to their graveyard. Minus five. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. I mean, I've seen a bunch of people trying to play around with reanimator decks in standard right now. No. Um, I don't know if this puts that over the top. And then minus 11, gain control of all creatures target opponent controls. Yeah. No. No. You could change that last line to win the game and I wouldn't care. <laughs> honestly. Like. Okay. No. Fair enough. Uh, I wonder how many years before that happens, by the way. Where, where so the ultimate just win the game. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or target player loses the game, or you know, to make sure commander doesn't just go away. Yeah. By, by the way, there's there is a there's a overrun in the set. Uh, Clothis's design five G for sorcery creatures you control get plus X. Plus That's X. I dis- I, I'm going to disagree for until end of turn. Where X is your devotion to green. It does not give trample. It does not give trample. It costs six. Yeah. So green does not have track. Right. Yeah, it is not. Uh, no, no, no. Without trample, green does not have track. <laughs> so we, we haven't seen that much. What, what, what do you think about, uh, you know, just looking at... I know you've been playing around with Emery decks. Is Eidolon a philosophy a card that interests you at all? For, like, Emery as just, like, a, you know, cheap thing that you can do? Well, the problem is, like, with Emery, what you're really excited by of cheap cards is either they have a bunch of impact right away that does the cool things for you. Right. Or they die and you get to play them again. Right. Right? Like, they you know, have a little effect. Like, Mishra's Bobble in Modern, right? Like. Right. You get to just like every turn. You get to just. Oh, I'm sorry. Draw a card I, I, for free. I, I thought Emery was artifact or enchantment, but it's only artifact. Yeah, so. but like even if it, even if that was an artifact, right? I was just mentally yeah. assuming it was an artifact when you yeah, said yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be good because, like, it's just too much mana. So like, by the time you get to sacrifice it, the game is usually over. Right. Like the design is kind of like okay, you get a one-two for you, which is like bad, but you know, really early, it's fine in some sense, especially in limited, and then eventually it turns into an ancestral. Right? Like, if you just have infinite mana and, and costs stop mattering. That's the mental thing in the designer's head, right? Right. For that card. And, like, what Emery wants to do is, like, so Witching Well, for example, is a much better Emery card. Because four mana is much more achievable. So you put it down for one mana, get Scry 2, which you're much more interested in than a random 1-2 on the battlefield. You just sacrifice it for four mana and keep going. I mean, any one-drop artifact, right, with Emery, they can block... Is like not nothing, right? But this is not the droid we're looking for. Um, by keeping an eye out for the droids we are looking for is definitely like on the list of things, right? right? Like if we if we could build an overseer, I still overseer deck. We'd like to, because like we get all the glitters potentially, steel overseer, and emery. I think there's like one other card that I saw that's like in the format that's interesting for that. Right. Potentially, but, like, already we're, you know, we'd like to be interested in some sense. But, like, 
the deck finishes really, really terribly right now. Like, I've seen people try it. Yeah. And the cards they have to play are awful. <laughs> You're playing those awful cards to get the payoff cards, but the cards are so bad. Right? So keep an eye out. Are there going to be artifacts in this set that, right. that are creatures that do things that you want? And if the answer is yes, you know, or they're just artifacts that, you know, are worth being artifacts, that's exciting. Like, Emery, it's already close. I've got pops to do. You know, it's just... Need some help. But my, my guess is no. My guess is they're doing creature enchantments and therefore artifacts don't get much help. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, just a, a, card, a signpost card for enchantments is certainly Satestin Champion, which is 2G for a 1-3. Whenever an enchantment enters a battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Satestin Champion and draw a card. Yeah. It's cards. Going into one of your commander decks. Well, yeah. <laughs> Easily. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a, you know, is there anything that this works nicely with or something that you want to build around? Or, I mean, the problem with whenever they put an Enchantress piece in a standard format, they never put multiple pieces in at the same time, right? Like They've learned. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess Eidolon of Blossoms, uh, you know, the, the thing is, I guess you could always, if you have another copy of this or... You know, maybe quasi-duplicating this. No. <laughs> this card doesn't feel like a card that is good enough to do work. It's very hard to defend. Right. It's a three-mana one-three. And, and it's hard for it to be redundant enough for it to, for, for it to matter. Right. And the question is, I think it's more like you're playing a deck that naturally wants this to be good. Right. And you can just put it in. Right. And the question is... Will that deck exist somehow? Well, and you, you have to compare it to Innkeeper, right? Like, yeah. Like, Innkeeper, to me, is the comparison right now. Right. In, Innkeeper, you get to play cards you want to play anyway. Sometimes you don't necessarily want to play. Mostly. You, yeah. You'd be happy to play. They're yeah. always reasonable. And you just get the steady stream of cards. It costs one mana and just no investment, right? Yeah. This is, like, yeah, it could be a 3-5, a 4-6. You know, talk, talking real power. But, I mean, realistically, no. That's right. not going to happen. Right. So, yeah, I just, I don't think it's going to get there. Um, you know, it's not a creature enchantment. It's not, a, it's a human, not an enchantment itself, so you can't trigger right. off right. of it's other not copies. Idol- it's not like Eidolon you can't, quasi, you can't quasi-duplicate it. For, you know, if, you could, if it was an enchantment, suddenly quasi-duplicating this thing gets really exciting. Sure. Yeah. Right? Like, even if it didn't trigger off itself, it's like when another, another enchantment enters the battlefield, that starts to get me more excited. But just, like, compare this to Risen Reef. Yeah. Right? Like, just so much less exciting. Right. R- right. Risen Reef replaces itself. Immediately. Immediately, yes. And if you leave it alone, suddenly they start just going nuts. This card, they start trying some cards and the creature gets reasonable. Yeah. But, like, you get 5-5 five, five for 3 mana. So it takes, like, 3 growths for this thing to get to par these days. Right. Which is sad. But, like, 3-5 for 2G doesn't cut it anymore. Right. It's mediocre to bad. And then you get cards back if you cast your enchantments, but yeah. I mean, if they print a lot of enchantment creatures in green, and you're just playing a normal green beatdown right. deck that happens to just catch up this thing a lot, maybe you right. play it. Right. But that's, you know. Or if, if, if they play, if they built some other card that also cared about enchantments entering the battlefield. Like, if you hit a critical mass or a redundant. Yeah, number, like a lot of the existing cards that do the same thing. Like, half the existing cards that I think are enchantments are actually artifacts. 
Yeah. Then I might want to play, which is a problem. Am I pitching well? Right? Nope. Nope. No, nope. no, no. That's no good. An enchant effect. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the line. I do feel like the line between enchantment and artifact has become pretty blurred, very blurred. Yeah. And we have planeswalkers that are often like doing the thing that enchantment would have done in the past. Right. So like when you look at my green decks that I've tried to build, right, they almost universally have zero enchantments in them right now. Like there are no enchantments that appeal to me. Right. Right. Like season of growth is like maybe the closest, and it's not good in general. So. What are we gonna do with this champion guy, right? Well, let's see. Let's look up. Uh, oops, standard legal. I mean, I've been looking through standard. I haven't gotten to green yet in my detailed search, but so far I have definitely not seen anything interesting. I mean, you mentioned all the glitters. I mean, staggering insight, as I said. If you you know can right. afford to just walk around the colors, like. But again, putting Staggering Insight on the champion, like, okay, it's it's a 3-5. Disinformation campaign, probably not going to do no, it. No, no, you can't do both themes at the same time. There's, yeah. there's going to be enough room. Uh, Feral Invocation is an instant speed. That's the limited card. Yeah. And everyone else kept not kept passing it to me, so they don't even think it's good limited. <laughs> They're wrong, but it doesn't make it a converted card. Gift of Paradise. I mean, okay. Kenrith's Transformation. Draws a card by itself. Yeah, but I'm just happy to counter transformation this card. It's yeah. like... You get a counter, right? right. So you get a 4-4? Four, four? It's like... Ugh, no. there, are, there are two different, uh, you know, Sam Black enchantments in the format. In uh, Gift of Paradise and New Horizons. New Horizons is so bad. Yeah, they're both, there, you know... Neither, neither are very good. No, but uh, this is a really bad list. Yeah. Like, looking at, just looking at it, right? Like, the, the, the champions have to come from Theros. They just do. Yeah. Pacifism. You can play, uh, like... Season of Growth is an interesting I'm at card. Prison Realm, but, you know, again, like... Yeah. Simic Ascendancy. <laughs> the card's so bad. I mean, your theory is Simic Ascendancy, you put a counter on this guy, you put so many counters <laughs> on this guy, you just trigger Simic Ascendancy and you win the game. <laughs> what, what if we just draw a card when we play our Trellicrums? <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, there's really not. Yeah, like wilderness reclamation. Like, yeah, again, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's just nothing. Yeah, just actual, yeah. actual nothing. Not, not a ton of stuff going on here. No, this card has to be fully supported by Theros. It has to be completely parasitic. Right. Effectively. I mean, you, so, so there are multiple cards that you can control with, right? Like there's pacifism. Uh, prison Realm, and Trapped in a Tower. If that's yeah. something you wanted to do. Yeah, I have that on my chart. Uh, and if, Sky Tether. Yeah, you know, if you, if you just want to... If you just want to use white removal enchantments, you can. But that deck... You know, like I have you know this category here of... Um, where is it? Yeah, like Conclave Tribunal Glass oh, Castle. Oh, Conclave Tribunal. Tribunal yeah. Glass Castle, which is an artifact. Prison Realm, Pacifism, Sky Tether. As like a, a, a set of cards to keep in mind. And like, Conclave Tribunal appeals a lot more than the others to me. Right. Because specifically like, I'm playing Creature Deck if I'm playing this card, so now I can tap my Creature Enchantments to cast my Tribunal. Right. And maybe I can go crazy, but again, I need a lot of help. Yes, I agree. I agree. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge buyer here. 
No, I, I, I am a seller. I am. I mean. Oh, it's also also luminous bonds. Just while we're going through that. But, yeah, but, I, but I at some point, you, at some point, you don't. You know, you get yours to choose from. <laughs> I have learned many times. Yes. That no. Yes. Yeah. No. All right. So what what do you want to see? What's your shopping list for the rest of Theros? Uh, so what are my good heroic cards? Whether you call it that or not. Right? That's the first thing I'm looking for. Uh, what can I escape with, especially in blue? Right. Why, why especially in blue? Because of Drowned Secrets in particular. Okay. And also, you know, Secret Keeper, Adventure Gargoyle, and other South Mill is the best in blue. And Emery. And, and Emery. So, like, are there artifacts that can escape? Yeah, somehow. Like, are there cards that work with artifacts that can escape? You know, those, like... Are there... Cards that, like, you really want to get into the graveyard so they can't escape. Like, escape is just much better than casting them, right? Like, because there are ways. And those ways need to be in... If those ways can get encouraged, great. That's one. Two is, you know, again, I don't put together necessarily, but artifacts, you know, potentially appeal to me. Um, any artifacts that play. Three, like, check the enchant creatures, enchantment creatures. See if they add up to anything. Can we get all the glitters to be a thing? Somehow. You know, potentially an integrating inside deck. You know, where we have some play, but like we probably can't play artifacts in that deck very well because there just aren't any. Um, so what do we do with that? Um, Devotion, what are the cards? Right? right? Like, last time, Devotion got a large, large percentage of the... PowerPoints. Right. Devotion had... There was Black Devotion, which was best deck for multiple weeks. There was Blue Devotion... Which dominated a Pro Tour. Which dominated a Pro Tour. There was White Devotion, which is the origin story of Autumn Burchett, who played that deck at... I forget which Pro Tour their debut was, but went 9-1 in standard and, you know, kind of was like, oh... And uh, it's green devotion was going to dominate pioneer for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and green devotion was a thing even in yeah, that was like the most recent, like very recently. Yeah. So that that leaves red devotion, and I don't think red devotion got there. Right. But four out of five is pretty freaking good. <laughs> so you know, there's pretty good tools. Like white, white already is on the verge of having a devotion deck. Right. Right now, uh, green devotion. Would be very good. So like, so like green has Barkhide Troll and Yorvo. Oh wow! Let's just start there, right? right? A bunch of good one drops that makes it that play. You know, Vivian. Oh wow! Gives you three pips at four. Jeez. And again, things we want to be doing anyway. Right. Right. So you know, we have. A bunch of Nissas at five. You know, we have a lot of ways to, you know, to, to accelerate our mana into this devotion strategy if that's what we want to do. So green devotion is just waiting to happen. White devotion is just waiting to happen, right, to start off with. Blue devotion, I think, is also basically just waiting to happen if we get the tools. Blue has some excellent cheap flyers to start us off with. Um, Hypnotic Sprite at Blue Blue. Gadwick seems like an amazing... Devotion card? Yes. Ugh. Um, 
you know, that entire cycle seems like it's set up devotion, right? Like, right. I mean, you know, the Thrain of Red Fell for Red Devotion, right? Like, it's the same thing. Right. Like, just be who I am. Yeah. So, like, the tools are there. The tools are waiting for us. Right. The question is, who gets the payoffs? What are the payoffs? Right. You know. I, I, I lost, by the way, to a Thrain of Red Fell commander deck this weekend. Oh, that's a very good commander. It's a very good commander. People by the way, if you, if you are looking to make your friends not play commander anymore you should go to your commander meetups with a thrain of redfell deck with pyrohemia and repercussions if you're playing krenko as your commander <laughs> just play thrain <laughs> oh or you're saying in brawl yeah yeah like why are you people doing why aren't wait why are they playing krenko instead of thrain i don't know but they both i find like three people with krenko and zero people with thrain i'm saying like if that's who you want to be thrain right. is how you want right. to do that right Right. So I was asking. Don't do this. It's annoying and not fun and wire, there's nothing at stake. <laughs> yes. But if you want to annoy people like that, then Thrain is the obviously correct creature. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I felt a little bad. I, you know, the guy came and just wiped the table up in like, you know, a handful of turns. And, yeah. But, but where just nobody felt like they had a, a shot at anything. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I'm like, so, I, serious question. What is it you enjoy about Commander? <laughs> because we didn't actually get to play a game. So I'm just saying Thrain might be your thing. But Thrain also for Devotion is okay. a really interesting yeah, thing. To, to me, out. like, it's keeping people honest, right? Sure. Like, yeah. there's, you're starting at 25, you all get a guaranteed card that you want, a free mulligan, and there's three of you, right? To help deal with this. Right. If you can't together. Deal with the person who's gigantically putting a bullseye on their own, like, defend against me back. Right. You all deserve to lose the first game. <laughs> right? And a different experience. See what happens. It doesn't take very long. Yeah. And then I pull out my normal deck. Right. You know, if you guys are like, I don't want to do that again. Right, right. Then it's fine. Like, yeah. if I was going to have, like, ten de- decks in my back, back, right, getting ready to play, one of them... Would be you people are just not respecting the possibility you might die. <laughs> it might be Thrain, it might be something else. Right. But it's going to be the whole like, no, I'm killing all of you by turn six. It would be your isn't that cute deck? Like meaning all everyone else. It, yeah, isn't everything you are doing cute? <laughs> are, you drew five extra cards. I see that. I don't really care. You are also dead. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, and then like if they say like don't do that again, you're like Okay, that's the format you want to play. I got a deck that, you know... And then you have the deck that, like, just assumes that nobody wants to ever kill you. Right. Because they're like, well, you told me you can't play cards like that. So I don't have to get it. I don't have to card against them. Yay! Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good point, though. Just, go, just going back to the Thrain and Devotion. Yeah, all five of those, you know, let's call them commanders. Yeah. That's kind of what they, they can be. Are excellent foundations for uh, some sort of Devotion deck in that color. Yeah. So, like, turn one Healer's Hawk... Turn two was Johnny Pridevade. Turn four, Linden. Yeah. You know, so attack, trigger my guy to four four. At the end of attacks, they're six six. Then my third turn happens and on they attack and attacks the nine nine. Ugh. On turn four. So they're just dead. By the way, I think that's just a kill, right? Jeez. You do the math? So attack for one on turn two. Right. Five on turn three. Right. And then 13 right now, I think, on turn four. So we're not quite there. We need one more point. Okay. We need to gain life one more time <laughs> to win this game. 
on that turn. But anytime you can get a one, two, three into a turn four kill, you should your eye your eyes should pop up a little bit. Like, oh, huh. So you know, and that deck has a lot of redundancy, right? Like, I mean, they they turn two Daxos, turn three a Johnny's Pride Mate immediately is three three because it triggers on itself. Play another one drop, it's immediately four four. Like, just start going nuts. Seems pretty exciting to me. I was wondering about that deck splashing black for cats. <laughs> like, just Witches Oven Cat is the only black. That's funny. And then, like, you can play the, uh, the four... The, there's a, you know, a Johnny, a Johnny uh, Strength of the Pride that generates more, more Johnny's Pride Mates. Oh, God. Just because you can, right? Sure. Like, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's any good. It's just a matter of, like, it's hilarious. Uh, what what else are you uh, what else are you looking out for beyond devotion? Is that or is that the white life gain deck? Okay. Is all like with Daxos is now at least scary as okay. a potential deck. So any help to that deck? Uh, white blue flyers again. Staggering insight is like I wanted this card, right? We wanted we didn't, this is a card we didn't even know we could get that we didn't even know we wanted. So if I get any help. Oh, okay, so obvious thing I'm looking for. Plumber, plumber, fix my mana. My mana sucks. <laughs> it doesn't run properly. Can you fix it? So, if we get a dual land cycle, how good is it? Does it play for aggro in particular? Because right. aggro decks right now have miserable mana bases. Yes. And even control decks, especially allied color control decks, have miserable mana bases. I, can't, I cannot tell you how many... Play a land tapped turn one, gain a life, or and yep. then do it again on turn two. I've played against over the last couple weeks. It's crazy. Yeah. So that era is probably coming to an end, one way or another. I mean, if Theros just has the other five temples and they're just like screw you, <laughs> that would be a thing. Right. And I can see it. Like I can see them having like, okay, you get some gain lands or something, and you get the other five you get the ally temples because Theros. Right. And that's it. And we're SOL except that we have all, like, ten, all ten temples. And that would be a statement that they don't want aggro decks playing two colors for a while. Right. Not lightly, or at least, well, I mean, you know. I, mean, I mean, it feels like if you're pushing Devotion, you kind of want those to be your aggro decks. But, like, you just played a... The Throne was a mono-themed set. And this is a mono-themed set. Yeah. So, like, do you really want to cut the mana off? Like, like do you need a kneecap? People aren't going to get any cards? Right? Like, do you really have to do that? Right. I mean, maybe you decide to do. But, you know, basically, can I play two color aggro? Can I play white blue flyers? Can I play gruel with good mana? Can I play knight? Oh, knights in particular. Right. Now, there are probably no knights in Theros. Theros does not contain knights. Right. It's going to have soldiers. But, that deck gets mana? That deck gets good equipment? Both of which are very plausible. Yes. That deck could get much better. In particular, white versions of that deck could become a thing. Right. Right? Like, I'm pretty excited to play Venerable Knight, Worthy Knight, Acclaimed Contender, Venerated Loxodon as my first four creatures. But I need two more. Right? And color is a problem. But they have to be knights? I mean, at least one of them has to be a knight. Right. Maybe one of them doesn't. Like, Daxos is looking at this going, hmm. Right? Like, at least a little bit. Potentially. 
Like, Daxos Worthy Knight, you get you get life gain off of tokens. Right? Like that's still that's a thing to keep in mind. So like maybe you can play like a knight theme in your life gain deck and like play both somehow. I don't think you can. But again, like we're looking for a way to get our deck finished, right? Without having to go into black or seriously into black or, you know, whatnot. Because I want Embercleave pretty badly, right? So I want to keep red. Right. And so from the previous uh, set, we do have, there's, there's a white red, there's a white red knight, the Sky Shred Legionnaire, I think it's called, the one, two yeah. flyer. That could be one more creature, and now we need, like, and we can have the, the one drop in red. And deck just feels a little bit light, right? But, like, even a little bit more help. Right. Just to, just to give you an idea of, like, maybe what to expect, in Theros, there was exactly one knight. One knight's all we need. Okay. And it was, it was a pretty good one for limited anyway, Wingsteed Rider. Yeah, like Wingsteed Rider would not get it done, right? If we, because it's just not, it's a limited card. Right. But if you gave me a three mana white knight that played, I'd be pretty interested. If you gave me a one mana white knight that plays, right. we're off the races. Right. It won't be the hot plate that we know is coming because hoplites have always been soldiers. Right. So, like, I'm just like, if we literally got, like, a Savannah Lion Knight in white. Right. With, like, even a tiny, tiny upside. But maybe nothing. I think we're almost in business. Right? And then we play veteran, um, then we play inspiring veteran as our last creature, and now our, our creature set is pretty tight. We just don't, we just want a third one drop. And again, I think Savannah Lions would be good enough. Among it was a knight. Savannah Knight. Just Savannah Knight would be like right. what I want there. Um, the Blue White Flyer deck also could use it, like, you know, an upgrade somewhere. Right. Like, the cards are fine, but it feels like it's not quite there. Um, what are the, uh, you know, does the Feather deck get any help, right? Do you get any good, like, one-mana spells that, like, play into what we want to do? So I feel like if you're putting Heroic or something that feels like Heroic into the set, you should get some good... You should get some good tools for the Feather deck. Yeah. You would think so. So next question up would be... So the food deck is kind of a sacrifice deck. You're not going to see the word food on anything. Right. You might see the word sacrifice. Sure. Or you might see additional things that play into what the deck's actually doing, right? When creatures die, for example, you might see triggers. You already do on Daxos. Right. I was just going to say. So, you know, if the cat decks get help that actually upgrades them, that's pretty freaking scary. Um, Jeskai Fires players... Um, if they can improve their filtering ability on the first few turns, like upgrade those cards. Right. They're pretty excited for that. Um, they kind of don't want that much more in the sense that like they already have like pretty ideal cards and like their deck is sort of a natural thing. But I certainly wouldn't, you know, again, like you're always looking for what are the decks out there? Do they improve? Right. Um, like for Niv-Mizzet, right? For the five color fires. Um, does your if your mana base gets substantially better, that deck gets really good. Interesting. That's a, that's like a that's like a fringe because that's not a deck anyone's really talking about outside of you. 
I, mean, I think Yuki Hero kept playing it after the tournament, but <laughs> I think people were just leaping on. I think people saw so Yuki Hero go 3 4. Um, and you can go 3 4 in any given tournament against amazing players. It's yep. going to happen. Um, saw the Gobos deck looked more sane yeah. and had a buy, and just never thought about the Nivisive version. Like, I barely faced it at all. Right. This deck is real, guys. Like, I, I ground all the way to Mythic with that deck. And only changed any cards at Diamond 1, and then I just changed a handful and didn't make any difference in the matches that I finished with, right? That deck is legit. It is much more consistent than you think it is. It plays very good magic. Its magic against Civic Flash is not that bad. The other thing is Civic Flash, I'm suddenly everywhere, and Civic Flash is the hardest of the major decks for you to beat, naturally. Yeah. But it's winnable. If you have access to... You know, three, four Hydroid Crasis and three, four Citizen Ceratops as your default long, you know, high end plan. Well, if they save mana, you put them in a world of hurt. If they don't save mana, you drop a bomb. Right. And, like, you match, you have more mana acceleration than they do in the setup turns, right? Because they have the same Paradise Ruins and Gross Spirals, and then you add Gilded Geese. So you come out of the gate slightly faster than they do. And Teferi is a problem, shall we say, right? Yes. Remains remains one. And you have access to literally every card in the format if you know what you want. Right. So, yeah, like... And, and, and Nissa just isn't that scary as a card against you, right? Like, Nissa just doesn't scare you. Like, if you resolve Cataclysm of War after they Nissa... Right. So it's basically like if I resolve it to the, the only thing I care about at that point is whether or not they have an Ether Gust. Right, so it's like I got this Teferi and this Fires in my deck. If these cards resolve, your deck becomes bad. Right? You can't right because if I'm double casting against Simic, they can't really keep up. Because they can't hold up enough counter spells. They can't cast enough spells on the board, they, they just lose the tempo war. Because my cards are more powerful if everyone resolves all our spells. And they can't necessarily even do that. And then their high end doesn't match up particularly great against my high end. Right? It takes a while for not being sure to, to be a problem. It takes a while for this to be a problem. So, like, I think the matchup's fine, having played it a bunch. I think people are just sleeping. So that deck, you know, there's lots and lots of room for basically any weird card that isn't devotion-based to suddenly, like, give you something. I also would love to see a five-color god, by the oh. way. Interesting. Especially if it was Niv-Mizzet. Like, just visiting. <laughs> right? Like... Five-color god, as long as your devotion is... Your, yeah, your, your devotion to everything <laughs> yeah. is... Your devotion, your devotion to color. Your devotion to Wooburg. Your devotion to color. Yeah. Right? Like, colorless doesn't count. Your devotion to color. Like... That's a sweet Your devotion to color is at least ten. Like, which is, let's just let's, let's make this hard, right? Yeah. Like, seven, it, it's... That's five, it's five and seven, right? Seven for gold, for gold, five for normal. Let's make it ten, but have the cost be Wooburg, so you get five back. So you need to find five others. Right, right. And that would be a new new visit that's, like, also, like, a five or six mana Wooburg, I'm, five, I'm, five, six, I'm six. In. And, yeah, and then if it if you have it, then suddenly, like... The Wooburg god. Yeah. So, yeah, no, and, and new visit isn't a creature unless... Yeah, right, right? yeah, and, yeah. It's like an 8-8 flyer or something, right. like gigantic, indestructible. Right. Like, yeah, it just ends the game. And then let's have its ability be... If the top card of your library is multicolored, you can play it. 
As if it was in your hand or something. Oh. I was thinking, like, you may play gold cards without paying um, their... Without, without paying all but one of their colored mana costs. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, just while we're designing on the basis. Like, you know, yeah. you can... You can you have to pay the you have to pay one of them, but like or it's like if it, you know like, like Atheros would just cost four W or four B instead of four white B. Okay. The alternative is just Atheros just cost four. Be like <laughs> no minimum one. You have to pay like minimum one mana per card or something, but like right, you just right. don't have to pay these things yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But um, or maybe not. Maybe you just go nuts. But like then you can't cast Moonbird. But yeah. like I really want. I was just like let's have more fun. But like really, I think the deck is there. Like okay. I think the deck is good and very good. Okay. Yeah, and if you, you know if you're following Z stream, he's he's played with that deck a bunch, and you can watch him play it there. Addition to some yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to play it much more soon. Yeah, it's because I've played it a bunch, and you're going to just holiday cube. Like, and I hit mythic yeah, already. Like every other human, you're going to holiday cube. I mean, you'd be surprised. The streamers get market pressure into <laughs> like not doing that, and there's decks to explore. But yeah, yeah. I mean, tomorrow I plan to brawl holiday cube. Slash maybe check out Unum's deck. Oh, you have to, I, I, w- I would like to see your reaction to that. I, I think it has some some pretty, like, real barriers to being super successful in terms of some decks in the format. But, like, I don't I don't know that it ever beats a John Sacrifice deck, but... That's not playable. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care what else it does. If it can't ever beat a John Sacrifice deck, then unless you're just... You know, ninety tening other people. It's like we're done. <laughs> no, yeah. You're not. I'm You're not, not, but it feels like I am. But yeah, I haven't played a ton of Jun Sacrifice though, so I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of that. I mean, the results from the yeah zero, I can't. The deck didn't do that great. So yeah, yeah. So all right. Well, thank you, Zvi, as always, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's been another episode of Top Eight Magic. Yeah, uh, we may well have a second part to this uh, coming up. Yeah. So um, right after this. So in terms of the streaming, um, I stream at. Uh, twitch.tv dash uh, my full name uh, my twitter is at the and generally I try to stream on Tuesday Thursday mornings when I can and sometimes other times during the week but you know I'm not it's not my job so it, it, it varies a lot yeah and we'll see what happens and if you're not following Zvi on twitter you're missing out on some cool deck lists because that, he's that, been sharing them there I assure you that the deck list will continue as Theros gets released Awesome. All right. Thanks, V. Thanks, everybody. Bye.